This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. A couple of things here before we get to Thomas Strands talking about the Vancouver Canucks in action tonight against the Edmonton Oilers. Eric Engels from Sportsnet covering the Montreal Canadiens. We'll play the Maple Leafs in the early game tonight. Uh, tweeting out, Carey Price will meet the media next week. We should get Engels on tomorrow and talk about halves. There's a lot going on there. Um, and also on the Matias Samuelson contract, which seems to have kind of split the room in a lot of ways. Seven years, $30 million, hasn't even played 60 games. So I texted someone from another team uh, who just texted me back as we were on break um, who says, I'm actually okay with this one. Not a big point producer, but the kid is underrated. I see what Adams was trying. Get your number three D-man locked up for term. Doesn't put up big numbers, but I guarantee if he played for Toronto, the price would be double. So everything comes with the Toronto Maple Leafs shot. I'm sure Maple Leafs fans always appreciate that from around the NHL. Uh, joining me now, uh, you read him in The Athletic, you hear him on Sportsnet 650, along with Jamie Dodd, part of Canucks Talk. He is a great Thomas Drance, and he joins me now. How are you doing today, Drancer? I'm doing well, Jeff. Happy opening day to your listeners uh, in Toronto, and of course, to anyone listening to us on 650. Uh, it's going to be a great day up here in Canada with a couple of really interesting national games. Uh, can I can I chime in on this Samuelson deal? Please do. I was going to go there anyway first with the Drancer. <laughs> I'm just old enough to remember the reaction when Roman Yossi signed seven t- years times $4 million. Yep. Uh, You know, he'd, he'd only had 34 career points and played 100 games, and people thought it was wild. Yeah. A wild swing by the Nashville Predators. And within two years, it was the biggest sweetheart contract in the sport. You know, you need to take these swings mm-hmm. before it's obvious what the guy is if you're going to sort of net, you know, the benefit of, of having locked them up when you did, right? And the Buffalo Sabres have taken a, a couple of, you know, risky swings, but also high upside swings. Sure. Not just with Samuelson, but also with Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're positioned where they are, right, probably a couple of years away, this is kind of the time to see if you lock in some core contributors uh, at highly efficient numbers long term. Yeah. Because we all know once you start making the playoffs, right, once you get on that you know, cycle of, and I mean, the team I cover has been on it for a long time, right? Where your young players are leveling up quickly. Their entry-level deals only last three years and second contract inflation is a real thing, mm-hmm. right? It, it becomes really difficult to rely on any sense of, of cost certainty unless you pay for it up front the way the Toronto Maple Leafs did with yeah. Marner, Matthews, Nylander. And they've been carved for years for it. Even as some of the teams that sort of signed bridge deals, uh, you know, I mean, you think about the Flames with Matthew Kachuk, right? Yep. Have had to sort of scramble to to reset exactly what they're doing as a result of the short-term benefit they accrued by uh, uh, taking a different approach. So, you know, I think this is a bet that makes a ton of sense for the Sabres. If it really doesn't work out, they still have a couple of years to use a one-thirds buyout, which mm-hmm. sort of m- limits the downside a bit. Uh, but I think this is basically, you know, how teams have to operate. I think a lot of teams have, realized that over the course of the summer and we've seen a lot of big early bets on guys like Stutzla and Josh Norris and Robert Thomas um you know this is just yeah exactly so you know a lot of teams have figured this out two teams have figured this out in Ottawa and St. Louis but uh, (laughs) but um but the 
you know, I, I think this is just sort of the more pedestrian version, like the lower end version of that type of bet. And I like it a lot, particularly for a team positioned where Buffalo is. Okay, so let me try to take, let me try to push you one step further. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. see how far I can I can push you on this one because I I, I sure. don't dis, I don't disagree. Like I I'm a I, I think that when you're going to actualize as a legitimate playoff team, you have to have you know you have to go to cap friendly and go like, wow, I can't believe they're getting this guy at that number. We, we've right. been saying that about you know Nathan McKinnon for how long now? But Forever. so is the bigger risk then? being taken by Matias Samuelson and not Kevin Adams. Oh, for sure. And then the the downside, I mean, first of all, the downside was realized by Roman Yossi over the latter years of that deal, right? Yeah. Uh, the Predators took care of him because he emerged as a captain and a community leader and, and an essential piece. But you think about a guy like an Andy McDonald too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember Andy McDonald had Huge. that one, yeah. like $1 million, like six-year deal or whatever for the New York Islanders was, yeah. you know, top five in the NHL in minutes, earning a million into his mid-20s. Yep. Uh, there's, there's a real downside for the player for sure in not betting on yourself. And yet, you know, how far away was Samuelson likely to be from guaranteeing 30 million in career earnings? Like at least three or four years playing defense in the NHL, right? That's what, uh, even for a more offensively inclined defenseman, that's 150 block shots, right? That's uh, 300 hits given or taken. Um, there's a lot of risk that he's sort of offset. So mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think for, a lot of players and and especially right now right where if you do a two-year deal you're probably looking at an 85 plus million dollar upper limit right in 2025 and maybe something in the mid 90s the year after you know he's certainly what he's done jeff is sort of put aside the opportunity to be the nhl's version of timofey mozgov and that's (laughs) that's um (laughs) something you have to be a little bit uh a little bit wary of i think for players going long at the moment and yet you know, you, you certainly understand it from the perspective of a young player who's now guaranteed uh, generational wealth for his family. Okay, off the Sabres page, let's get to the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are all, I know I certainly was, and this was all based on, you know, what we heard coming from the Vancouver organization where it was about flexibility and we need to be able to maneuver in the offseason and draft capital and cap space, yep. et cetera, et cetera. That didn't happen. You know, Besser is re-upped. JT Miller is there. The bodies haven't flown out the door. I mean, Dickinson goes to Chicago. But this wasn't the summer we expected from the Vancouver Canucks, which many of us raised an eyebrow. What did you make of Vancouver's offseason? And do you think part of the decision-making was looking around the Pacific and saying, you know, if things break right, we have a shot here. How did you see the offseason, Drancer? I'm sure that was part of it, but I also think there's a logic to building a team that's as tough to disassemble as the Vancouver Canucks are, right? This is a team with a lot of money, a lot of cap commitments locked up on wings, on the wings, and we saw over the course of the summer how little value wingers really carried uh, over the course of, you know, this flat cap moment that the NHL is in, right? You, you think about Bjorkstrand, you think about all of those uh, wingers who went for cut rate prices on the trade market over the course of the summer, not to mention the free agents that ended up getting squeezed uh, with Sonny Milano, for example, still looking for work at the moment. Um, you know, I think they found that some of the deals they would have liked to make uh, weren't there and, and certainly weren't there at a price they liked. Um, you know, it feels to me almost like the 
logic of how this team was assembled and how difficult it would be without significant pain to begin to reset that uh, almost caused them to back into maintaining a sense of year-over-year continuity mm-hmm. in terms of the overall roster construction, right? They, they had some speed in Ilya Mikheyev, yep. but for the most part, this defense is unchanged. Um, you know, the, the forward group is unchanged and really the only significant cap dump they've been able to execute was um, Travis Hamanick and then and then yep. Jason Dickinson. So two two sort of mid range deals. Certainly, they would have liked to do more to carve out additional cap flexibility. I, I just think they were wary of the prices uh, right up until the end when they decided to part with a second to move off of Jason Dickinson. And, you know, I think the path of least resistance that emerged was to sort of keep the group together. And, you know, extend JT Miller and sort of see what they've got this season. Um, is that advisable? Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think so personally, but I'm a little bit lower on this team, I think, than industry average. Right. Like, I think this defense score is going to be, you know, problematic for a team with playoff ambitions. Right. I mm-hmm. think their ability to move north south is is highly limited as as a as a group. Um you know, with Quinn Hughes off the ice, I don't see them having the ability to consistently attack as a five-man unit, and that's tough. Like, that that leaves you without a plan B in the contemporary NHL. You're sort of relying on what your forwards can generate, uh, especially with uh, with their forechecking, which, you know, Bruce Boudreaux will have them do with, with serious aggression uh, <laughs> throughout the season. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting year for sure, uh, and I think that the overall cap logic Rutherford, Patrick Alvin inherited um, was a significant factor in their decision. And I also think there was a read on this market that the more dramatic steps uh, probably weren't going to fly in a market that I think the organization sees as deeply impatient. Uh, Again, a take that I'd quibble with because I don't think this market's impatient for success. I think this market's impatient for a discernible, sensible plan Mm -hmm. that might eventually get this team to where you could realistically hope that the 52-year cup drought might come to an end. See, one of the things that I wonder about here is what if Vancouver is out of it by trade deadline? What happens? Like, this could, like, I could see, like, Vancouver's one of the teams where I could see, like, hey, boom, they're in the playoffs, things fall off the, uh, the wheels fall off the wagon for certain teams in the in the Pacific, as we anticipate, um, and Vancouver finds themselves in a, sp- in a spot, or I can also see, you know what, Los Angeles wasn't fool's gold, and they lock a spot, and everyone is as healthy as possible outside of uh, Robin Leonard in Vegas, and they find themselves in a spot. The two Alberta teams are in as well, and Vancouver finds themselves on the outside come trade deadline. What then? Yeah. What then for the Canucks? (laughs) Vegas looked pretty scary last night, I think. If you're a team like the Canucks with ambitions of breaking into that top three, the fact that Jack Eichel looked like he had real jump. Yeah. uh, The fact that that Vegas team, you know, rolled out their lines the way they did, uh, you know, with four really imposing lines and controlled play just so thoroughly against a Kings team that you expect to sort of, you know, at least be able to hold their own five on five, right? You, you kind yeah. of expect the Kings to struggle to score as opposed to, you know, spend a lot of the game pinned in their own end. And aside from the first 10 minutes when I thought LA carried things and the game, the game felt like a vintage, you know, Golden Knights manhandling an opponent game 
uh, to me, it's just one. It's just one game. But that looked like, you know, if I'm a if I'm a Pacific team with sort of playoff ambitions, that looked concerning to me about you know what the Vegas Golden Knights could be in, in terms of getting their groove back, like Stella um, <laughs> this season with <laughs> with the with with regards to you know the the bigger point. What does this team do? Um, you know, it's been an interesting dynamic to watch because we're all used to, and I think even in assuming that this team would be more active in changing things up this summer, you know, I think we're used to proceeding with this bias toward this being a Jim Rutherford team and sort of believing that Jim Rutherford's itchy (laughs) trigger finger might prevail uh, in terms of exactly how this club decides to operate. And yet, you know, Patrick Alvin is the GM, and I think Patrick Alvin's a little bit more conservative on the whole, uh, a little bit, you know, perhaps um, not less emotional, but but certainly we don't have the same track record, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. used to Rutherford making trades, you know, because of, of a losing streak. <laughs> this team, it feels like, has been far more, you know, deliberate, careful to this point in, in, in making their moves. Um, and I'm sort of curious to know how much of the dynamic between those two gentlemen, right? The Canucks mm-hmm. president of hockey operations and, and the general manager is shaping the club's departure from, from what our expectations would have been. I do think they will ultimately have to move Bo Horvat if they can't get him extended. Doesn't sound like there's much progress, if any, um, it's, in those talks. It's quiet right now. Season. I talked to someone yeah. yesterday, and it, it's it's real quiet right now. Real quiet. And for all that Bo Horvat is a pro who's not going to you know, upset the apple cart by any means, you know how much he's given this organization. You know that can't be an easy situation. No. Uh, these things are often far more frustrating behind the scenes, right, than the public realizes. So... I would assume that that governs this situation as well. Um, I do think, and, and the club has said this, that you know, if they get to the deadline and he's unsigned and they're not in position, um, that they're going to view it as something they can't afford to do, uh, risk losing Bo Horvat for nothing. So that's sort Jeez. of the big one that I think rears its head if this team is not firmly ensconced in a playoff race or a playoff spot, excuse me, uh, forget the race. Uh, come deadline time. So the stakes are high for, for all involved, the, without the, question. The, the the Horvat thing to me is, I, I mean, I'm still stunned. Like, when I was on with you and Jamie the other day, I was making the point, like, I, I'm mm-hmm. still I'm still stunned that we're at this point in October and the Horvat deal isn't done, and here's the captain, and now there's playoff expectations once again in Vancouver, and he's also got, you know, a contract that's set to expire at the end of the season. Hey, go have a good year, Bo. Like, to your point, like, he's, yeah. a, like, a thorough pro, and I know he's not one of these guys that gets, you know, really distracted by a lot of things, but you want to talk about putting your captain in a tough spot? Welcome to it in Vancouver for Bo Horvat. Well, especially because once the season begins and the team is back in town and the locker room is open, which, you know, it has been around the league, but not in Vancouver because of renovations in the arena, but that's going to change come October 22nd. And all of a sudden, because I've seen it every day, right, someone's asking Bo Horvat something, and it's going to turn on a regular basis to the contract situation. Now, Horvat is so polished, so used to this, yeah. so uniquely well-suited to navigating this market in particular yeah. that he'll easily be able to just say, I'll say what I've said, right? Like, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, it's, it is what it is. I leave it to my agent, right? He'll do that. He'll do that song and dance, but 
it wears on you. And it's something he's going to have to do with increasing urgency more and more as the season goes along and the deadline approaches. And that's regardless of whether the team is excelling or not. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, what does it look like when he has the inevitable shooting slump, right? Like the inevitable five games, Bo Horvat has one point, right? I mean, that's going to happen. Sure. Uh, he's also going to have five game stretches where he has, you know, <laughs> eight points and, and four goals. But, you know, when both of those things happen, right, that sort of raises the stakes in terms of those questions. Like, how does it feel to be playing so well when you're yeah. in a contract year, Bo, right? Yeah, how does it's... it feel to be letting everyone down in a contract year, Bo? <laughs> like, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a fog over every single conversation with Horvat. The thing is, like, if there's anyone better suited for it in Vancouver or maybe the NHL, I don't know that person uh, is anyone yeah, other I don't than think there is Bo, Bo Horvat. Uh, we got to hustle. Uh, you're the best answer. Thanks as always, man. Hey, my pleasure. Enjoy the games tonight. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's the Vancouver Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers. That is the uh, nightcap game tonight. The Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens early. We'll step away. And, uh, yeah, we're bringing back MVSW Wednesday here, the MVSW Redux. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. And then a little bit later on, we're going to play a clip from the uh, Players Tour in Vegas. Me and Elliot talking to Jeremy Swayman about ballet. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Six games on the go around the NHL this evening. Two of them on our network. Maple Leafs facing off against the Habs. 7 o'clock Eastern, Vancouver and Edmonton late. 10 o'clock Eastern, both of those on Sportsnet. Everything uh, else you can watch on Sportsnet now. Namely, the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. Linus Allmark gets a start for the Bruins. Darcy Kemper for the Caps. But speaking of netminders, Elliot and I had a chance to sit down and talk to Jeremy Swayman at par- as part of the NHL Players Tour about a month ago in Vegas. And amongst things that we talked about were goaltenders trying to get an edge. All players are trying to get an edge. What was Jeremy Swayman's edge? How about ballet? Throwing a dart here. Um, ballet? Yeah. Is that a main? Yeah, I did it one <laughs> one semester at Maine. What did you think? It was the best thing ever. Was it a course? Yeah, it was a legit like uh, lab, like a ballet lab. It was going into class every day what did you learn again how like how how did it help you as a goalie uh well the biggest thing i took away from it was the body awareness and how balanced you can Mm -hmm. you can really you know it's not just about (laughs) putting two feet on the ground it's you know using your groins using your core using your uh glutes uh putting your body in in positions where these small minute muscles are taken over and you really have to have body awareness so now you like watch a ballet set it's like the appreciation level goes so much higher (laughs) because they're pointing the toe the right time they're putting their hips up in the right time it's so cool to watch so yeah I was, I'm really glad I did it. Do you still do it? Yeah. Up in, I mean, not as, um, you know, religiously as I used to, but like, um, anything with ankle flexion, I'm yep. really into that. So anything on the bar, if I could do some sort of ankle flexion mm-hmm. and working on range of motion with that, as well as strengthening, you know, calves, groins, hips, uh, that's, that's what I like to do. You know, my new nickname for you is black swan. That's what I'm going to start. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. I, yeah. I like that movie. <laughs> so, now, did, were there any other like, players like Maine or any other hockey players who took it with you or anything like that yeah we had three of us in there and uh we were all set up for our recital mm-hmm. but then COVID hit and so oh, I know, that's we, had, too bad. we had all the boys going yeah it was a bummer but uh yeah there's three of us there was actually a couple of football players in there too it was a scene mm-hmm. yeah it was funny see I think 20 years ago everybody would laugh and made fun of that but now it's like 
what's, mean, what's the big deal? I mean, they like, probably made fun of it anyway, sure, but it's still sure, a big sure. deal. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it was just kind of a last minute thing. It was like an elective course. I already had all my business management uh, courses done with, so I was like filling did, credits. Do you have any other players asking you about it? Because, I mean, listen, once upon a time, there were a lot of players. I remember talking to Jay Harrison when he played with the Maple Leafs. We were, I was just walking down the street and saw him coming out of a yoga studio. Yeah. And he said, hey, uh, Matt Nichol told us it'd be good for us, but don't tell anyone. I'm a little embarrassed that I'm going to yoga. Yeah. This would have been like 2005, and now everyone understands how beneficial that is to you as an athlete. And sure. I'm of the belief that you guys are always looking for some type of edge every offseason, look for something different to give you an edge on the competition. Do you have other players asking you about ballet at all? Anyone yeah. curious about it? It's funny. It's like <laughs> my goalie coach, Alfie, up in Maine, Misho, he, uh, he requires it for the goalies now. Really? <laughs> yeah, so all the goalies are taking ballet the first year there. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny seeing how it worked. But um, I definitely do get questions, you know, curious people. Like, I love it, right? And uh, anything to give yourself an advantage or an edge. And, like, it definitely was a, a mindset thing more than anything. It's like, I don't care what people think. You know, I'm just going to do my thing and, and get my credits. But it ended up being, like, this awesome thing that I learned and, and took to my advantage. You thought this was a hockey podcast. Yeah, exactly. Know. Guess, I guess think, again. I, I think over. this stuff is really interesting. But who would be the last member of the Boston Bruins who would agree to do ballet? Oh, man. I don't know. Marshy would be like, I think he'd be kind of all over it. But yeah. I also could see him be like, absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's a slippery slope with him. Yeah, that'd be funny. Uh, there is Jeremy Swanman, as someone nice. tweeted me. I can't, I can't take credit for it. But Who was it? Uh, I don't know. Someone on Twitter said, you guys missed the obvious one. Jeremy Swanman, not Jeremy Swayman, considering he's took ballet at the University of Maine. Uh, Bruins facing off against Capitals tonight. I thought you might enjoy that. Jeremy Swayman, the only goaltender doing ballet. How about that one, Maddie Mar? Well, like Elliot said, of all the things now, oh, this yeah. would be like least surprising of how to get better. Sure. Everything, everything's on the table. Any, any way you can get uh, an edge. So uh, six games on the go around the NHL this evening. Uh, Leafs and Habs early, 7 o'clock. That's on Sportsnet. Two other 7 o'clock starts. Uh, the Blue Jackets and Hurricanes. Daniil Tarasov, get a chance to watch him. Mm-hmm. Remember this draft year, a lot of teams liked him. He had the injury plague season, but it was like, that's going to be the sleeper goaltender pick, and the Blue Jackets got him, and we'll see him tonight. Elvis Merzlikens is sick. I'm uh, disappointed a- in that one, by the way. What's that? Because I wanted to see Ken Johnson. Well, Ken Johnson uh, was going to be the extra forward tonight for Columbus, uh, but they needed to make room, so they called up Jack Greaves to back up Daniil Tarasov. He wouldn't have seen Ken Johnson anyway. I want to see Ken Johnson, and I want to see him play with Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine because they may not be able to defend worth a lick, but they'll be <laughs> real fun to watch playing on offense. They will, and I'm looking forward to seeing Brent Burns tonight. Uh, yes. See Brent Burns, the galloping, the rover defenseman playing with the Carolina Hurricanes. What's uh, what's the spice in your chili tonight? We got the, the banner raising in Colorado. We got the uh, the four Canadian teams in action, Bruins and Caps early. What, uh, what's doing it for you? I'll be watching Leafs and Habs for sure, but I'm sure my daughter will keep me up just a little bit. So yeah. I will be watching Mason McTavish tonight. Very, very excited for that. A lot of good young players in that one. Listen, Anaheim's loaded with prospects, mm-hmm. and Mason McTavish is top of that bunch, and Maddie Beneers and Shane Wright on the other side. Seattle facing off against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, all right, we got to hustle. Uh, some thank yous to my producer, Matt Marchese, who looks real good on camera, by the way. Your hair's a little bit shorter. You don't have the full Drew Doughty well, look going. it was going. really long before. I know. It was, uh, like I said, rock star without the paycheck and the guitar, buddy. Thanks to Lance Kennedy for playing the keyboards and Jen Rolnick for keeping us on point with the video and the cameras. Back tomorrow, more Merrick Show. Thanks for joining us today.